you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter 10. Nehemiah chapter 10. This will conclude our look at the leadership of uh, Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. This is our 14th lesson on this. And we're going to uh, conclude today. And I hope it has occurred to you as we've gone through this series in the book of Nehemiah that the Christian life, in the Christian life, there's always the next step. We never attain. Paul said, you know, I'm not saying that I have attained, but, you know, he continued to fight the good fight. And, folks, we must understand that, you know, every aspect of our Christian life, there's always the next step. There's always that next step of dedication. There's always that pledge and promise to God to be more than what we have been, to love more, to learn more, to grow beyond, you know, what we have done before. We're always to be growing in our Christian walk with God. The Christian life, we must understand, is basically a series of new beginnings in our lives. Look, when it comes to the next step of commitment, we must all be aware of the peril of plateau. Now, the peril of plateau happens in each and every one of our lives. And what do I mean by the peril of plateau? It's becoming stagnant rather than continuing to move on forward uh, and upward for the cause of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get to that place and we just plateau in our walk with Jesus Christ. And chances are there's some of you here this morning who have plateaued. There's some who may be watching us on Facebook this morning who have plateaued. And rather than denying the fact that you have plateaued, you have to confess it to God and realize, look, I have plateaued in my walk with Christ. I am not what I should be. I am not what I once was. I have reached a plateau. Now I need to begin to move forward in my walk with Him. Look... <clears throat> Uh, 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 we need to understand uh, that that's what happened to the children of Israel here. They knew they needed to take that next step. They needed a, re a new commitment to the Lord. You know, in chapter 9, it ended with verse 38 saying, And because of all of this. Now, because of all of what? Remember that chapter 9 was a prayer of repentance, uh, you know, and renewal to God by the people of Israel. They, you know, they celebrated God's goodness, they celebrated God's greatness and His love for them, even though they had turned their back on Him many times, even though they had rebelled against Him, they knew that God still loved them in spite of it all. Therefore, at the point of decision and covenant, they said, because of all of this, we make a new covenant, we make a new commitment to our God. Folks, some of us here this morning need to make a new commitment to God. We need to make a new covenant to God that we're going to serve Him, that we're going to worship Him, that we're going to praise Him, that we're going to begin to give our life 100% you know, to Him. Because God is so good, because God is so gracious, the people said, we repent. They made a pledge to be obedient to God. Now, what is the sign of true repentance, you know? Some people say, well, if a person truly repents, there's tears. I mean, they just break down in tears, 
just come all in their face and, you know, run all over the floor. Some say it's words. Well, as long as I say the words that, Lord, I repent, Lord, I, you know, rededicate my life or whatever. But let me tell you something. They made a pledge to be obedient to God, and it necessarily has to do anything with words or tears. No, the sign of true repentance, folks, is a changed life. That's the sign of true repentance. Has your life changed since you made a new commitment to God? Has your life changed? Are you different you know, now than you was before you made this new commitment to God? Folks, a true repentance is a committed life. Now, as a result of this document that they publicly proclaimed on this day of dedication, and three evidences I want to show you this morning emerge showing that they meant business with God and that they meant their commitment to God to be true. Let's take a look at these three evidences that emerge. First of all, a public proclamation. Verses 28 through 31. Look, this was public. This was open. They didn't do it in secrecy. They didn't come within the four walls of the church and, and say, well, look, let's repent. You know, let's get right with God. No, it was public, folks. Look, if we're going to get right with God, we need to make it public. There's a spiritual principle of a public proclamation in so many of the things that we do, and sometimes we don't even realize that it's a public proclamation. For instance, marriages. Marriage is a pledge, you know, or a vow that is made between two people. You know, it's made before God. And it's made before the public. You know, now there may be some circumstances where somebody doesn't want a big marriage. In fact, you know, I've performed probably four or five, maybe six marriages right here, you know, with just me and the couple, you know, and that's it. You know, some people don't want a big wedding, but it's still a public thing. It's still a public event where two people are making a vow before God and those present that they're going to spend the rest of their lives together. Baptism is another public uh, proclamation of a covenant with God. You know, baptism is simply an outward expression of an inward change that has happened in someone's life. Baptism, as someone is publicly standing before the congregation, you know, is simply saying, I have died to the old man. They go under the water, simulating burying that old man. They are raised out of that water, resurrecting to a new life. But what is it? It's a public proclamation that something has happened with inside my life. There has been a change with inside my life. It's a public proclamation that Jesus Christ is now Lord of my life. The third thing is when we partake of the Lord's Supper, you know, we, we make a public proclamation of what Jesus Christ has done for us within our life. You know, Jesus commanded us as often as you partake of this Lord's Supper, you know, to do it in remembrance of him and the blood that was shed and his body that was torn. It's a public proclamation, folks, the Lord's Supper is, remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. <coughs> Excuse me. So when people make a public proclamation, they're saying, I am not a silent Christian. I am not a silent believer. Rather, I want to sign up. I want to sign on. I want my name on the dotted line for Jesus Christ. He gave himself for me. Now I want to give myself to you, uh, to him. Has there been a time in your life you said, I just want to sign up. I want to sign on. I want to work for the Lord. Folks, that's what these people did. That's what these people did because they had gotten serious with God. And I want to suggest to you this morning, when you truly get serious with God, 
You're going to sign your name on the dotted line and you're going to do whatever it is God is calling you to do. Yes, these people made a public proclamation to their devotion, of their devotion to God. It started with the leaders and it filtered down. Listen, in the church, it must do the same thing. It must start with the pastor. It must start with the music minister. It must start with the youth ministers. It must then go down to the deacons, the praise team, the musicians, and all who lead in the worship service, the Sunday school teachers, dads, moms, grandmas, grandpas, sons, daughters, and on and on. Folks, Folks, listen, we all need to stand up and be willing to proclaim to all that I am going to be counted for Christ. He can count on me. I will pray. I will work. I will tithe. And I will serve wherever my Lord and Savior needs me. Look, will you be counted? Will you be counted? That's what the book of Nehemiah is all about. People standing up and saying, you can count on me. I am here. I am here. I'll sign my name on the dotted line. I'll sign on. I'll sign up to do whatever it is the Lord has called me to do. Are you willing to put your name on the dotted line for Jesus Christ? Now, the second thing is a personal separation. Boy, if there's one thing we need, it's definitely a personal separation of God's people in today's world. You know, the sad thing that I see in this world today is you cannot tell the difference and a lost person, and a saved person once you get outside these four walls. Amen or oh me? Because we're no longer separating ourselves from the world. We want to blend in with the world. But folks, the Bible teaches we're a peculiar people. Okay? What's that mean? It means we're different. Those of us who are sold out to Jesus Christ, those of us who know him as our Lord and Savior, we are a different people. Look, there was a personal separation of the people of God here in the book of Nehemiah from the people of the world. They pledged that they would not live like the heathen. They would separate themselves. They would sanctify themselves. They, they would separate themselves from the people of sin. Separation, folks, is not negative. When he talks about us separating ourselves, you know, we look at it as, well, that's a negative thing. I've got to separate myself from all of these things that I enjoy doing. Look, many look at separation as what I cannot do. That's the wrong attitude. Separating ourselves from the world, you shouldn't look at it as what I cannot do. That's negative. But we must look at it as positive as the things I am free to do. Look here. They separated themselves, first of all, unto the law of God unto the law of God look at verse 28 and the rest of the people the priests the Levites the porters the singers the uh, Nethium and all that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God don't miss that they realize these people are bringing sin into the camp these people are being a negative influence to us. We cannot serve God and still allow ourselves to be influenced by these people. So they said, what we've got to do is we've got to separate ourselves from them, but unto the law of God. In other words, get into the Word of God. Look, if for, for most of us, if we spend as much time in the Word of God as we do with some of our lost, quote, friends, it's possible we'd be a whole lot closer to Jesus Christ than what we are. You know, I, I like what Chad put on the, 
the sign this week. You spend more time in the Word of God, or the book, the God's book, or Facebook? Hmm, think about that. Do you spend more time in God's book or Facebook? Well, the sad thing is, if we would be honest, many of us spend a whole lot more time on Facebook than we do God's Word. And we wonder, why can't I grow spiritually? Uh, th th this might uh, be a shock to you, but there's nothing on Facebook going to cause you to grow spiritually. I know, I know. How dare me say something like that? But it's true. Folks, what's going to cause you to grow spiritually is God's word. These people, it says in verse 28, they separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God. Their wives, now look who all done it. Their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. You know, you're not going to understand that some of the things that's happening in our world today is sin unless you know the Word of God. Because society has accepted it. And because society has accepted it, you know, we, we just go right along with it if we don't know what the law of God has to say about it. I'm talking about same-sex marriage. I'm talking about abortion. I'm talking about living together, you know, out, uh, uh, not being married. I'm we could go on and on of things that society has accepted, yet people who identify themselves as Christians don't even realize it's a sin because they do not know the law of God. And what this is saying here is they separated themselves from the people to get into the word of God. Now they have understanding and now they have wisdom. Look, many need to separate themselves from the television, except for the cowboy game today at noon. I got my DVR set. Okay, many need to separate themselves from the television, from magazines, from books, and et cetera, and spend more time in the Word of God. Now, let me say this, because there's many people within our churches who have backslid yet never missed a Sunday in church. Now, I want to think about what I'm saying here. There's people who have never missed a Sunday in our churches who are backslidden. Now, you say, well, how can that be, Pastor? Look, just because you attend church don't mean you're in proper fellowship with God because they're never willing to separate themselves from the th things of the world and to the law of God. Therefore, they're saturating their mind, which moves to their heart with the things of the world rather than saturating their minds, moving to the heart, the Word of God. So just because you attend church don't mean nothing. I'm not suggesting you don't attend church. But it means nothing as far as you growing in knowledge and wisdom in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That will only come from the Word of God, folks. And we've got to understand that. Now, let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with TV. We're not Pentecostal here, so don't go home and yank your TV out and throw it in the front yard. I may come pick it up. But there's nothing wrong with TV. There's nothing wrong with some magazines. There's nothing wrong with some books and other things in and of themselves. Understand this. In and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with it. But when they take up time that you should be giving to the Word of God, now they become a problem. Does that make sense? Now they become a problem. 
because you have placed priority over them than you have the Word of God and spending time with Him. Now, the second thing they separated themselves unto was unto their brethren. Look at verse 29a there. They clave to their brethren, okay? They separated themselves from the lost, and they clave themselves. They brought themselves together with the brethren, their nobles, and, and entered into a curse and an oath, and into an oath. So they separated themselves from the people of the world, but brought themselves together with the people of God. Folks, there's nothing like fellowshipping with Christian believers. Because we will encourage one another, we'll grow from one another, we'll, we'll gain knowledge from one another. And that's what we see the people doing. As children of God, we need to spend time with other Christian people. You know, as, as we said last week, I'm not suggesting that we have no lost friends. However, if those lost friends are having a negative influence on us and causing us to sin rather than us having a positive influence on them, bringing them to Jesus Christ, then it's time to separate from them. And yet we don't understand that as Christian people. There comes a time we must make the decision whether we desire a relationship with a lost friend who is toxic to our life and is temporal in this relationship or a relationship with God who is perfect and who is eternal. There comes a time we've got to draw a line there. Do I want to keep this relationship with this friend who is toxic to me? who is always causing me to sin? Or do I want to spend that time with my Heavenly Father, who is perfect in all His ways? That's your, that's your choice. That's your choice. Now, the third thing they separated themselves was is unto obedience to God. Unto obedience to God. Look at verse 29b. And into an oath. So they, they separated themselves from the lost, clave to the... The, 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 their brethren, and entered into an oath. Now, here was their oath. To walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes. So what do we see? They separated themselves from the lost unto the law of God, unto the brethren, okay, in order to be obedient to God. Look here, you cannot fully be obedient to God if you haven't separated yourself from some things in your life that is negative influence, whether that's friends. And, hey, sometimes that's even family, you know. Some, some have families that, you know, is always dragging them down, you know. Uh, you know, you know I, I, I've never in my life seen so much drama in families as you see today. Okay, And sometimes we just got to separate ourselves from that if we're going to grow in the Lord and be all that he wants us to be. So we have to separate ourselves. So many are simply going through the motions in their church attendance, their ministry, their tithing, and other areas of their spiritual life. But they're not obedient to God. Look, they're not sold out to, to, to the Lord. You know, they're like a, an eight-cylinder engine that's, hitting, that's not hitting on all eight. Rather, they're hitting on about four, and they're wondering why their life is not very smooth. You take an eight-cylinder engine, it's only hitting on four. Anybody know anything about mechanic work? And that sucker's 
it's not running smooth at all, is it? You know what? If you're not truly sold out to the Lord, you're not hitting on all eight spiritually. So don't wonder why your life is not running smooth. Don't worry about, I mean, don't wonder, you know, why does it just seem like my world is all crashing in on me? Get a tune-up! All right? Get a tune-up. Change some spark plugs. I would say change some points, but they don't do that no more, do they? You need a tune-up if your life isn't running smooth. That's what you do to your car. Maybe you need to do that to your life. How do you get a tune-up? These things here. You know, separate yourself into the law of God. Separate yourself into the brother. And separate yourself to obedience to God. And then you'll see your life beginning to smooth out. Now, will it continually always be smooth? No, because we're in this old wicked world. But you'll see a big difference. Now, <clears throat> the next thing they separated themselves to was into God-ordained marriages. I'm going to say that again. God-ordained marriages. Look at verse 30. And here, again, they made an oath here that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land nor take their daughters or their sons. Why would they say that? Because they knew this was not a God-ordained marriage. Can't tell you how many couples I've pre done premarital counseling on to where the, the man is lost and the girl is saved, you know, or sometimes vice versa, but usually it's that way. And she thinking she can change his life if they just get married. And I'll tell them every time, this ain't going to work. This ain't going to work. Because in just about every, well, I guess every instance, I'm, I, I would have to go back and think of any. But I, right off the top of my head, I can't think of not one time that a couple who one was lost and one was saved made it over about three to five years. Because it doesn't happen. You know why? You know why? Because it's not a God-ordained marriage. Okay? The Scripture says a God-ordained marriage is to yoke ourselves together with believers, not with unbelievers. And if you yoke yourself together with an unbeliever in a marriage, okay, that's not a God-ordained marriage. That marriage is already out of the will of God. And don't look for it to be very successful at all. Look, moms and dads and even grandparents, we need to know who our children are dating and what that person stands for. We need to make sure our children understand that God was not confused when he made male and female. Let me say that again. I will assure you God was not confused when he created male and female. He didn't back up as he took that rib out of Adam and made a female and then stepped back and said, what the heck did I do here? Did I mess up? No, he was not confused, folks. God-ordained marriage is one male and one female. I don't care what society says. But why do you see so many within our churches today thinking, well, if that's who they love, let it be. If they love someone of the same sex, let it be. If they love their dog, let them get married to their dog. I mean... I mean, that, that's where it's headed, folks. You say, Pastor, you're kind of 
you're kind of getting far out there. Can I tell you something in the 50s and the 60s, somebody who said, you know, that uh, it would get to the point in the United States of America where a man would marry a man or a woman would marry a woman, they would have said the same thing. You done you been smoking something. Especially if you was in the 60s, you probably was, but that's a different story altogether. But do you understand what I'm saying here? God ordained marriages. Today's society is... And this, this really disturbs me because even in our schools, today's society is doing all it can to convince our children that it's okay to think and wonder, you know, uh, how God created them, to question, did God really create me correctly? That's where we're at, folks. They're getting our children to question God as to how he created them. You see, it's okay if a boy identifies as a girl today if he's feeling a little on the feminine side. It's okay for a girl if she's feeling a little masculine today to identify herself as a boy. It's okay to marry whoever you love, you know, even if they're the same sex. Because after all, doesn't God just want us to be happy? Didn't God just want us to be happy? These are simply traps, folks, that Satan is using today to snare our young people, to trap our young people, <clears throat> to destroy our young generation. And because the Christian community is keeping silent and parents aren't teaching their children the truths of God's word, the enemy is winning the battle. Listen to me. The enemy is winning the battle. I want everybody to say the enemy is winning the battles. Okay, I just wanted to make sure you heard what I'm saying. The enemy is winning the battle, folks, for the hearts and the mind of our grandchildren and our children. He's winning. And if you don't believe that, you're living with your head in the sand. You're part of the problem if you don't understand and believe that. Chuck Swindoll once made this statement. We can't make a difference until we are different. I thought that was a good statement. Church, we're instructed to come out from among them and be separate. Be different. And the way to become different is to be committed to God, stand on the truths of his word, and be willing to separate ourselves from those who would lead us the ways of the world. Now, the third thing is this. <coughs> Excuse me. The physical dedication. These people were living under the lordship of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, they, they, were, they, had, they consecrated and made personal and physical dedications in three areas of their life. Let's look at these three areas. First of all, they dedicated themselves concerning their faithfulness to the Word of God. We've already seen that. Okay? The, the, verse 29 is his essence saying, We will live under the, the authority of God and His Word for our lives. We will live by the book. We will not only hear the Word of God, but we will live the Word of God. You know, it's one thing for you to show up here on a Sunday morning and hear the Word of God. It's one thing for you to show up in our Bible study on Sunday night and Wednesday night and hear the Word of God. But it's another thing for you to go out those doors and live the Word of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's two different things. Do you go out that door 
and take the word of God that you've heard and live it. That's what these people were saying we're going to do. We're not going to only stand here and hear it, <coughs> excuse me, but we're going to go out there and we're going to live it. As the song says, you know, trust and obey, for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Church, it's time that we return to both the Word of God and the God of the Word and put both before the world and the things of the world. And that's not happening in Christendom today. But it's far time. That's what we return to. The second thing they dedicated themselves to was their families. I would suggest to you this morning, the family is broken. The family is broken. Christian moms, dads, grandparents, or guardians today, we need to make this same commitment to God that they made in verse 30. There's a battle for the family today, and it's time that Christians begin to take a stand to protect the family. We need to cry out, we will not lose our children to the devil's crowd. We will dedicate ourselves. We will dedicate our marriages. We will dedicate our homes. We will dedicate our families to the living God. Folks, it's time that the Christian church stand up and proclaim that publicly, not just with inside these four walls. We will not allow our children to go the way of the world. We will fight in order to preserve the family uh, as God created it. And the sad thing is, listen to me, the sad thing about that is, and I'm talking here about what I just said, we'll fight to preserve the family the way that God created it. On November the 8th, there's many people who say they're a Christian going to go into those polls and vote for people who believe in same-sex marriage. And you know what? I'm just going to throw it out there. Don't call yourself a Christian if you're going to vote for someone who believes in same-sex marriage. Do I need to say that again? Don't call yourself a Christian if you have the audacity to vote for someone who is for same-sex marriage. Because what you're saying is, I'm for same-sex marriage too. No, I'm not saying that, Pastor. I'm just, no, 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 no. Don't make excuses. If you write on the dotted line, by the way, we have some sample ballots out there. Grab one. You can mark what you want, who you want to vote for. It's really kind of simple here. R-E-P means Republican. D-E-M means dumb. I mean, not dummy. Uh, Democrat. Okay. Just take and mark it. Take it in the booth with you. Uh, you, you shouldn't need to, okay? But look here. Don't, don't identify yourself a Christian if you're going to pull the lever for someone who believes in abortion, for someone who believes in same-sex marriage, for someone who believes in, in you know, uh, that you can identify as a boy or a girl, no matter how God created you. Because, again, we talked a while ago about yoking yourself with unbelievers. That's exactly what you're doing, and you're no better than they are. So don't have the audacity to call yourself a Christian. I, I, I don't think that was in my notes, but it needed to be said look at here the third thing is they dedicated themselves concerning their finances oh i knew preacher you'd get into finances somehow or another hey y'all need to y'all need to un, uh, uh, be happy that i only preach on tithing once a year 
In fact, usually it's in January at the beginning of the year. I do a stewardship series, and I didn't even do that this year. So this will be the first time you get something on tithing. Okay? Look here. Look at verse 31. <coughs> and if the people of the land bring where or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we, now this again is in their oath, this is in their, what they committed to the Lord, that we would not buy of them on the Sabbath. Hey, what happened to uh, uh, stores being closed on Sundays? I mean, everyone in here can remember when there was nothing opened on Sundays. You better barbecue some chicken, okay, because you ain't going to, you know, uh, Chicken Express or somewhere else and buy you some chicken. What happened to that? What happened to our nation respecting the Sabbath? You're right. So what's that mean? The, the, the companies love money more than they love God and his word. Okay? Of course, of course then we move to the blue law. I remember the blue law. Yeah, we all remember the blue law. That kind of began to say, well, we're not everything going to be closed, but we're going to, you know, have some things that can't be sold until a certain time. Or stores can't open until a certain time. Now where are we at? The Word of God, yeah, 24 hours anywhere. The Word of God in the Sabbath means absolutely nothing to the people of America. Absolutely nothing. But here's what these people said, okay? And if the people of the land, okay, and he's talking about the lost people, if they come and they're wanting to, you know, sell things on the Sabbath that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath nor the holy day <clears throat> and that we would leave the seventh year and the uh, exaction of every debt. Look, they were going to demonstrate that God had changed their lives. In verse 31, you know, we see they dedicated the Sabbath to the Lord. Let me say that again. They dedicated the Sabbath to the Lord. You know, some, some, some will go to church on Sunday. Just because somebody's watching, they'll throw a dollar or two in the offering plate because we don't want nobody to see that we didn't give nothing. They'll throw a dollar or two in the offering plate, yet all along, while they're in church, they're thinking about what they're missing by being in church and thinking as they let go of that $2, that $1, whatever it might be, how can I gain more of this? Not in order to give more to the Lord, but in order for myself. Look, the principle we see here, folks, is <clears throat> we're not to hibernate on Sundays and not be more concerned with materialism and uh, the almighty dollar than we are about our relationship with God. Our relationship with God and his church should be a priority in our lives, not just on Sundays, every day. The final thing is this, their commitment, dedication, and consecration meant that it touched their purse strings, okay? Look at verse 37 and 38. <coughs> and that we should bring the first fruits of our dough and our offering and the fruit of all manner of trees. Now, again, this is still in their oath. This is still their new commitment. This is what they're committing that they're going to do God for God. 
and all manner of trees, of wine and of oil unto the priest and to the chambers of the house of God and the tithes of our ground unto the Levites, that the same Levites might have tithes in all their cities of our tillage. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites take tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes unto the house of our God, to the chambers and to the treasures of the house. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, <clears throat> there will your heart be also. They were saying this, our treasure is the Lord and his work. Don't miss that. That's what they're saying here. Our treasure is the Lord and his work. What is your treasure this morning? Is your treasure really about the Lord and his work? Or is your treasure something else? Jesus said, whatever your treasure is, that's what your heart is going to be also. You know, these people, they were, uh, were willing to give generously of their tithes and their offerings. Again, what is your treasure today? Where is your heart today? What is it that means more to you than God and his work? <coughs> A church member was complaining to the pastor after church one day that, Pastor, the church just costs too much money to run. And, Pastor, the church spends way too much money on things that I see as unnecessary. Now, I've had people say that to me before. This is just a story I found. To be a true story, I found this. It's supposed to be a true story. But I've had people tell me, you know, working with the homeless, we're spending money that we're just throwing away. I've had people tell me that. You know, some other ministries that we do, that's just a waste of money. Well, this guy come to the pastor after church one day and said the church just costs too much money to run and it spends way too much thing on things I don't think is necessary. So the pastor shared with him this true story. He said this, quote, A number of years ago, a little boy was born into our home. Right away, he began costing us money. I've got 10 in the house and 12 counting me and Debbie, so I, I, I can go along. So I can understand this between dogs and kids and chickens and my feed bill is high. He said, look here, this boy come into our home, right away he began to cost us money. Diapers, food, milk, <clears throat> and all the costs that come with a baby. He said as the child began to grow, got into elementary school, now there was all of those fees of soccer, football, name it. Crystal, you know what I'm talking about there, don't you? He said he then began to eat us out of house and home. That too, huh, Crystal? He began to eat us out of house and home, and our grocery bill was out of sight. He then decided he needed a car. So we got him a car. Then we had to keep gasoline in it and pay the insurance. It was costing us a fortune. We didn't have much money, but we sacrificed and did what we could because we loved our son. Then he decided he wanted to go away to the college. And we, we were poor, but for years we paid for him to attend college. Then his senior year of college, he was killed in an automotive accident. And you know what? Since that day, that boy hasn't cost us a dime. How I wish. I had him back. 
so we could spend something on him again. The point of that, folks, is this. Anything that is alive costs us. And that which is precious, <clears throat> that which is valuable, requires a commitment on our part. Look, if a church is going to be alive, now if we just want to become a dead church, we don't need much financing. But if a church is going to be alive, we need exactly the sentiments of the children of Israel in the last phrase of, uh, pray, phase, uh, of verse 39, where they said this, <clears throat> we will not forsake the house of our God. We will pray, we will work, we will attend, and we will give of our tithe, we will give of our offering as we covenant together our faith, our families, and our finances to God and the cause of Jesus Christ and for the cause of Fairview Baptist Church. Would you this day enter that type of covenant with God? All these that we've looked at and this covenant here today with God, would you this day say as the people of Israel, my treasure is the Lord and his work? You know, if we're going to do what God has called us to do as a church, it takes tithe. It takes offering. If we're going to get this building paid off in a timely manner, it takes people not only giving of their tithe, but also an offering for the building fund. <clears throat> it's been a while since we brought this out, but some have asked me about the chest back there, you know, in the back. That chest is for offerings to the building fund. Anything that's in that chest goes to the building fund. Of course, you've got your building fund envelopes you can put in the offering plate, and that'll go too. But anything that Glenda finds in that chest automatically goes into the building fund. So, church, if we're going to be a church that is alive for Jesus Christ, <clears throat> if we're going to be a church that is committed to carrying out his will, carrying out that great commission, then it's going to cost us something. And we've got to be faithful in our giving. But what about you this morning? Are you willing this morning to say, Pastor, <clears throat> I'm going to do as the children of Israel here. I'm going to separate myself into the law of God. I'm going to start spending more time in the word of God. Would you be willing to say, Pastor, I'm going to begin separating myself unto the brethren. There are some lost friends that I associate myself with who are dragging me down. And I realize this morning they're toxic in my life. Pastors, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to begin separating myself unto God-ordained marriages for my family, for my kids, for whatever. Pastor, I'm going to separate myself to be in obedience to God. Would you make these oaths and commitment to God this morning? That's my question to you. Let's pray. Father God, we come.